The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Uh, you've all showed up today. I'm glad to, to see you all this morning. Thank you, Dr. Porcella, for your warm introduction. Uh, by the way, the Bible that he was thumbing through was my Bible. Um, I put it up here in advance, you know, being prepared is half the battle. Um, it's kind of strange to call Dr. Porcella Dr. Porcella, considering that I knew him when he was a, a snot-nosed and immature middle schooler. Uh, and uh, today we are both serving together here in, in these sort of, uh, in these high and lofty positions, but it is a privilege to, uh, to be here with, uh, to serve with him and with, uh, to and with all of you. Uh, today we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture, a section of scripture in Genesis. Um, and we're going to talk about the life of Joseph. Um, but let me ask you a question first. Um, did you all have a good spring break? Yeah? Um, I have a confession to make. Ever since I was in college, in Europe's position, and in grad school, and beyond, I never took a spring break. I never went on vacation anywhere. I never did anything interesting. I never did anything fun. I was either too poor or too busy, or both. But this summer, or this spring break, I decided this was the year. I was going to go, as, and as is done, uh, you know, the most cliched thing you can do on spring break, I was going to go to Florida. And that's what I did. I did not go to South Beach, but I got pretty close. I got to A Beach. And, um, and the place where I was staying, the front door opened to the swimming pool, the back door opened to a private beach. I have to admit to you that I did not want to come back. I looked into the possibility of working from a distance, but this was not possible. So every day that I was there, I spent time out on the beach and in the ocean. Um, for the longest time, I was actually medically prohibited from swimming. I had a central line IV in my chest, which was external. And because of that, I was not allowed to go into, uh, into um, swimming in the swimming pool or into uh, the ocean uh, up to my chest. So I had developed this mental framework in my mind that I don't like to swim, which was not true. I had to tell myself that so that I could prevent myself from trying to swim. But this year, I decided that I was going to go swim in the ocean because I was able to for after a long time. So... I remember going into the Atlantic Ocean there, and by the way, the Atlantic Ocean there is nothing compared to the Atlantic Ocean uh, in New Jersey, right? They're completely two completely different things. And so I went into this translucent uh, blue water with these waves of sand and with the sun beating down on me at 80, 82 degrees and nice warmth. And you get to a point where you're in the, in the ocean and the... You feel the floor. It shifts a little bit, the ocean floor, but you're grounded. And you get to a point, though, where you, if you want to go far out into the ocean, you have to stop feeling the ocean floor. And that taught me a very important lesson. 
It taught me that in the Christian life, the deeper we want to grow in our faith, the more we have to let go of the ocean floor. God does not call us to live our life in the shallows, treading water where it's careful. He wants us to go where we don't feel the ground beneath us, where we don't feel secure. Now, if you're a Christian, don't look for safety in the shallows. God is going to be taking you deep into the waters. And if he's taking you there deep, it's for a purpose, and it's for your growth and for your ability to glorify him. Now, have you ever um, had a detour in your life? You think that life is going straight, and life has all, you have all these goals in your life, and you know what you're going to accomplish, but all of a sudden you get a, a curveball thrown at you. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other leaves you. You fail a course. Your financial aid dries up. You have, your friends get into a fight and leave, forsake you. And you're alone. God knows what that feels like. And God actually puts those things in our lives just as we examine the life of Joseph. Take a look with me, if you would. At, we're just going to skim through a couple of verses. First, Genesis chapter 36, where Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, so, first of all, in Genesis 37, jo Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, you've got to remember, if there's anyone who had a more, um, a more good setup, it was, jo it was Joseph. He was the favorite of his, brother of his father, Jacob. He was the youngest of the brothers. Uh, he was in a very favored position. Yet God threw in his life many curveballs. First, in chapter 37, he was sold into slavery, and... As if that wasn't enough, he went to Egypt, but then he grew through the ranks in Egypt. He was freed, and he worked for a man named Potiphar. And no sooner did he, did he uh, excel in that, that he was then chased by his wife. And then framed by his wife when she couldn't capture him, when she couldn't snare him, when she couldn't use him the way that she wanted to. Then he landed in prison again. We see that in chapter 39. In chapter 41, he's in prison and he's talking to two servants. Sorry, in chapter 40, he's talking to two servants, the cupbearer and the baker. And this is an interesting verse that I want to, that often doesn't, I think, get, uh, get explained a whole lot. But he explains, he interprets the dreams of both the cupbearer and, and, uh, and the baker. And if you read the end of chapter 40, they're freed, the cupbearer is freed, the cupbearer knows that Joseph interpreted the dream and used Joseph's information. And it says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now God calls us as individuals and as groups as well, even on a journey of faith. And you can see 
that there are many detours that are good detours. There are many trials that are good trials. As a physician, one of the things that we treat the most is pain. And pain hurts. And that's why we treat it first, because it's distressing to the human experience. But if you look at it, as, as certain doctors have, as Dr. Paul Brandt, the great medical missionary in India, had observed that pain actually has a therapeutic benefit. Pain tells you what not to do. Pain gives your body time to heal. You ever sprain your ankle? What's the one thing you can't do? You can't put any weight on it until it gets better. So pain has a way of teaching us lessons. Pain has a way of teaching us lessons. And similarly, we see this here. Detours in our lives have a way of teaching us lessons. We look at these things, these trials, these sidetracks in our life as an inconvenience, as taking us away from what we're really supposed to be doing. But what, what they are doing actually, in fact, is making us trust in God more. Another thing I did while I was on vacation was I went to the Florida Keys, and I went on a boat in the Florida Keys, one of those glass-bottomed boats, and you can take a look at all the fish through the bottom of the boat, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, there were some unruly children who were jumping on the glass bottom to see if they could crack the bottom of the boat. Didn't think that was very funny. Um, but I remember asking the, the ship's captain, uh, because we're in a hurricane-prone zone, how do you handle being out in the ocean um, during a hurricane? How do you steer a ship? And he said that if we steer a ship, or any boat, if we steer the rudder, the rudder can break. And if the rudder breaks, then we will be directionless. We will be unable to do anything. We'll be at the mercy of, uh, we'll, we'll be destroyed, basically. So what we do, he said, was during a storm, we let go of the controls. We let go of the controls of the ship and we go as the waves take us. And that ensures the safety and the security of the boat. So I want to invite you this morning to let go of the controls. If you haven't, or if there's something in your life that you're holding on to, to give those controls to Jesus. In Scripture, God presents figures who were taken through many detours. And indeed, the Christian life is filled with nothing but detours. But we must trust God that he knows what he's doing. There are many detours that we see in the Old Testament. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for a few days. The Israelites spent 40 years in Egypt. And even Noah spent 120 years building the ark. That comes out to 43,000 days, for, the, for those of you who like math. 43,000 days of making a boat and waiting. So just because we're going through a detour in life doesn't mean that God is not with them. As a matter of fact, when the Israelites were traveling and tarrying through the desert, they still had a column of fire by night and a cloud by day. And further, 
they were fed through manna. And I don't know how, if you remember this, but manna has a very special property. Manna you cannot store up for additional days, and if you do, it goes bad. So in that we have an object lesson, in that we are to trust God every day for everything. But we see this in the life of Joseph. As I said, he was the youngest of 12, and he was a great source of jealousy for his 11 brothers. He was captured by them, and rather than being killed, he was thrown into a hole in the ground, and he was sold into slavery to be liberated by Pharaoh's courts, only to be thrown in prison once again. If there's anyone who's a poster child for detours in their life, it's Joseph. And what do we learn from Joseph's example? First, when you are persecuted for a righteous cause, um, you, you, you can be uh, persecuted for a righteous cause. Joseph stood up to worldly temptation. He stood up to corruption. He stood up to evil. And even when he resisted, the only way to bring him down was to be framed. He got thrown into jail for doing the right thing. He was on a God-ordained detour. If the same is with you, hang on. Second, when you're in the midst of trials, God makes himself known, just as he did to the Israelites. You are not on your own, but you are with, but God is with you and will draw you closer to himself and teach you more about himself than you would ever have known. And thirdly, in the midst of suffering, God gives us people with similar suffering. In scripture, for Paul, he gave Silas. In the modern day, for each of us, he gave each other. And this is one of the benefits of being in a congregation, to being part of a church, and to being attending even chapel here on campus. You are able to, by your mere presence, encourage others and be an encouragement to others and be encouraged by others. We learn that the source of our joy is independent of our circumstances. And this is a lesson which goes, ant which is, which goes antithetical, which is the opposite of what the world tells us. Our faith keeps moving us forward towards Christ, but is always rooted and grounded in Scripture. Our journey to joy often sputters out because we forget to trust Jesus and to rely on him and to lean not on our own understanding, even when life doesn't look like how we imagined. As I was sitting thinking about today, I was thinking about my own life and when I was your age and even younger, I imagined myself at my age as I am now thinking I would probably be hanging a shingle somewhere, being a practicing physician, or being out on the mission field, being a doctor. I didn't see myself at Cairn University. I did not see myself in a university at all. So in a sense, I am living a detour I am not where I had initially envisioned or imagined myself. And that's okay, because this is where God has brought me. So always be open to listening to God's call. Always be faithful to answer God's call. And to not let go of that, no matter what circumstances come your way. 
Remember, it's easy to obey God when what you want is what is consistent with what he wants. But when you, what you want is inconsistent with what he wants, then it becomes even harder. And that's where faith comes into play. Now, you heard me say that I have brought brains and hearts and bones and all kinds of things to chapel. Uh, today, I didn't bring any of those, but I did bring something from home, which are mustard seeds. So in the West, mustard seeds are actually much larger than this. These are Eastern mustard seeds. I can put these out in my garden and grow mustard greens. And when Jesus talks about having the faith of a mustard seed, he's talking about something that's not only tiny, but really, really tiny. And also packs a punch. Many of you know, if you follow my Instagram page, that I like to cook. My wife says I like to burn, but I prefer to think that I like to cook. And one of the stages in Indian cooking is typically to use mustard seeds. Now, these are really tiny. But when you put these in oil, in hot oil, they splutter. They make a big noise, and they'll sometimes even pop out of the frying pan because they're so powerful. So they pack a big punch, even though there's something very tiny. So Jesus is calling us to have the faith the size of a mustard seed, which may seem small, but is indeed very, very explosive. So if you are faithful to Jesus, Jesus has said that I am the vine, you are the branches, we will bear the fruit of God, which is the ultimate good. And we will be the witness of his goodness to others. And this isn't just a blind faith or a willful submission. The world tells us a story and narrates a story which is quite the opposite. Saying that the source of joy is to discover your truest self to do what feels right, and to accumulate the right amount of stuff. All of that is a lie. God has made us. We find our true joy in Him, in emptying ourselves of ourselves, and filling it with Him. So I ask you, what is the God-sized dream that you are ready to give up what is the calling that you're ready to abandon because it seems too difficult in your lives today? Have you grown spiritually through the detours that life has put in your path? And how do you want God to bless you as you commit yourself fully to him? If you were to come to my office, one of the things that um, you'll find hanging in my office is this frame. And I know it's hard for you to see this out there, but this is the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is something that really frames my life, and you may know it, and even if you don't, let me read it to you. The question that is asked, in Lord's Day 1, is what is my only comfort in life and death? Answer that I am not my own, but that I belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now to live for him. This, brothers and sisters, is the source of true joy. This is how we, get, we may get through and navigate all of the detours in our lives. We just finished the uh, Olympics uh, recently. Uh, there's a story that's been lost in the annals of the Olympics, uh, which goes back to about the 1930s. In 1936, there was a Hungarian Christian athlete. And he was, he was an ace at shooting, at rifle shooting, actually pistol shooting, at 25 meters. And he was preparing for the 1936 Olympics. And if you know your history, you know that World War II was about to start at that time. And so he was drafted for the Second World War. He, was, he would shoot with his right hand. And he was drafted for the war. And while he was being in training in boot camp, his right arm was blown off by a grenade attack. And it seemed that he would no longer prepare for the Olympics. His Olympic dreams were over. But he said, no, I'm still going to train for the Olympics. I'm going to train myself to shoot with my left hand. Because I believe that God has trained me, has called me to be an athlete. 1940 comes along, we're in the middle of World War II, the Olympics get canceled. In 1944, Olympics get canceled. In 1948, in the Olympics in London, he finally gets his chance. He's now 38 years old. He's been training forever with his left hand. And he goes to the Olympics. The people, who, the other athletes at the Olympics think that he's a trainer and he's not an athlete. But he goes to the Olympics in 1948 with the left-sided shooting and he wins a gold medal in 25 meters pistol shooting. 1952 in Helsinki, he repeats it and wins a gold medal again. Regardless of all the detours that are thrown in his way of having his arm blown off, two Olympics canceled, he still managed to make it to the Olympics and win two gold medals. He did not let his detours deter him. So, in your life, my prayer for you is that you will not let your detours detour you, deter you, but you will learn from them. And when you get old and seasoned and balding like I am, you will be able to look back on your life and see that the detour was the plan all along. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lessons that detours teach us. Thank you for putting them in our lives. May we learn to learn from them and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.